0: Today on this episode of the After the Timeout podcast, we are joined by University of Wyoming Head Women's Basketball Coach Heather Giselle. We talk to Coach Giselle about her transition to the head coaching role, perimeter play, and get to know a little bit about her Cowgirls program. As always, thanks for listening to the After the Timeout podcast. All right, Coach, Uh, we usually open with the opening tip, but I'm going to go audible here. I was looking on your Twitter today. I'm going to go pre-opening tip. I saw some uh, M&M shoes maybe you're you're Yeah, yeah. You got to talk about those. What, What? where, (laughs) obviously Adidas, but where where did they come from? What, 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 is it just you guys, obviously Adidas school, you got hooked up with them or?
1: Yeah, Adidas school, I'm a, I'm a shoe, I'm a shoe. Guy or a girl, I'm a shoe girl. Um,
2: takes three of them. I
1: love everything. Um, so I had actually found those through uh a couple different sites that I was like, man, I have to have those. They're brown and gold, they're perfect. Um, and so I actually bought them probably like a month and a half ago. It just took that long for them to get here. Uh, and it worked out perfectly with everything else that was happening. That literally they arrived. Uh, this Saturday after I got the job and I was like oh I'm definitely bringing these out as kind of like that first little I don't know whatever you want to call it something for getting going here so it was it was perfect
0: yeah those are those are pretty those are pretty slick I saw yeah I gotta I gotta ask you about them because I've never seen anything like them yeah all right so the the actual opening tip here um so you've obviously just taken over at Wyoming Um, Give us a little background on the program, Um, you know, what, maybe what kind of season we'll watch a game with some of your players coming back, Um, and what will be the thing that you want to hang your head on at Wyoming?
1: Yeah, just a little bit of background. I've been here for seven years. Um, When I first got the job, I was under Joe Ligurski, who was a longtime head coach. He spent 18 years at Wyoming, Um, and then the associate head coach, Gerald Mattinson, got the job. For the past three years so it's been one of those that has been built with two guys i'd say for the past 20 years um and they were able to really lay the groundwork on everything we do and i've just been lucky enough to learn under them and kind of be a sponge and soak it all in so the one thing that we really hang our hat on is you're going to come out if you come to a game you're going to watch us we're going to play hard there's no doubt about that that's a, a the wyoming tough is a real thing uh for us and and it's going to be one of those games where, yeah, there might only be 50 points scored because we're going to play defense. Uh, We're going to limit teams. They're not going to be able to run it up and down on us. They're going to have to work for every possession. And then uh, we run a motion offense. So you're going to see basketball IQ kids that understand the game that kind of can be able to read screens, you know, make some different cuts and and score as a team as much as not so much as like one-on-one kind of things.
2: So, we wanted to get into, you know, it's the off season and um, obviously, you know, Todd and I like to do our homework on everybody. And sometimes I think some people laugh at the things we notice when we do our homework. Uh, uh-huh. but we, we did notice you were a very good shooter. Um, still are a very good shooter. I shouldn't say were, um, <laughs> but you know, we wanted to break down somebody's shot. So let's say you, you know, you, there's somebody that they just need to, to kind of build their shot up a little bit you know, maybe you're a high school coach, maybe you're a younger grades coach, um, you know, maybe even a, a college freshman coming in. For you, mm-hmm. what are three things you're looking for to create a consistent jumper if you're developing a player's shot?
1: I think the the point that you just even used, consistent. I think your, all of your fundamental part of your shot has to be consistent every time. It can't be that it's constantly changing with every shot you take. Making sure that You know, when you catch the ball, you're right. You're getting your elbow under it. All of those things are consistent every time. Um, You know, there's, I'm not going to say that there's a perfect way to shoot it. Everybody shoots it a little bit different. And as long as it works for you and you're consistent with it, then that's when we can start growing that shot. So I'd say one is the consistent fundamentals of your shot. Second one is actually understanding what is a good shot. Uh, It changes for each player, but understanding what a good shot is makes you a really good shooter. And, and you're not taking shots that maybe you are not capable of shooting and the more that you can be able to figure out which shot is the best then the more success you're going to have and then that grows your game where some of those shots that maybe weren't good for you at the beginning now become good for you and great shots by the end of your career uh, and so understanding that part and then I'd say what we always talk about is you know quality over quantity. It's not about coming in the gym and shooting a thousand shots. Are they good shots? Are they actual game-like shots? Or are you just sitting there, you know, kind of half going and spin the ball to yourself and barely, you know, really put in the work, making sure I don't care if it was 200 shots instead of a thousand. If those 200 shots are really quality shots, now we're going to be able to create a really good shooter.
2: So I just wanted to follow up on for you, you know, within your offense, you know, I'm a motion guy myself as well. For you, are there any shots that you don't really like to see? I know a lot of coaches will talk about long twos or, or, uh, you know, jumpers from specific areas. Are there any kind of jumpers or shots in your offense that you want to try to get away from? And then, are there any specific shots, whether it be corner threes, uh, shots around the rim, that you're looking for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I always say the worst shot in basketball is a toe on the three-point line. So I guess that would be the worst shot if you're going to talk about it. But the one thing I think the women's game um, has lost a little bit is that mid-range jumper, Um, being able to shoot the mid-range either off the bounce or even just coming off of a curl, you know, being able to hit the mid-range. So I actually love that shot, but I would like for it to get back into the game more and for kids to work on it more. I think everybody just runs to that three-point line now, and we just shoot those those, as opposed to working on that mid-range. Um, I think the other shots that I know aren't successful in our offense are ones that are created one-on-one. Uh, we are motion. So you coming off a screen, down screens, flare screens, whatever action those are, those are really good shots as opposed to, I'm just gonna start dribbling it and try and creating my own. Uh, Cause the rest of our kids don't know what you're doing then. And that creates bad shots for us. Um, we're really good. I think the best shot within our motion or within our offense is what we even say, kind of the next one, next one. Where our action creates some kind of action that we're putting the ball on the floor and we're driving baseline and we hit the drift pass and then we go next one, next one, maybe at the top of the key. Um, we always really go, you know, good, better, best, where, yeah, was it a good shot in the corner? It could have been, but maybe that next pass made was a better shot, but the best pass or the best shot was that final pass to that kid that was coming all the way around. So we get a lot of good success with those kind of actions where we're in our motion. And being able to move
0: the ball like that. So I, I wanna before I get now, we're gonna I wanna talk about like point guard play here in a second, but okay. I think something interesting you said is shot selection and, and I wanted to talk to you about how to help players realize what a good shot is for them, right? Because I think that mm-hmm. might be the part, right? Absolutely. If you're getting you're getting players that were the best they at their school best in their area Mm -hmm. and a lot of times hey that's a good shot for you you know yeah getting to your level how do you help players whether it's analytics whether it's whether it's percentage whatever it may be um -hmm. hey this is a good shot for you at this time and then we can work on this next shot going forward
1: yeah I think the big thing we do we do a lot of four-on-four motion action stuff um where we're just playing it and that's where we're really starting to break that stuff down and being able to teach the, the freshman, especially or any new kid into our system uh, early. So it happens, it happens really quick. You know, there's some kind of action that happens and a kid takes this shot and we're going, yeah, but did you see what you had to your right? And they're going, no, I had a shot. And we're like, I know, but you're the person that ended up coming at you came from the person to your right who was wide open. You're shooting a contested shot, they would have had a wide open shot. Um, And going and figuring that out for them is always the biggest one. And it takes them a couple of times and they are, they're always like shell shocked when you first say it, like, Hey, that actually wasn't a great shot. And they're going, but I was open. I'm like, yeah, but there was a better one. Um, So just teaching it, trying to break it down in practice. I think that's the best way that they can understand that we can watch film on it too. But I think trying to catch them in that moment, right when it happens. And so we'll do that a lot early um, in our first couple of practices um, that we're still trying to get, you know, everything put in where we can be able to stop that and try and get those kids to understand what the good shots compared to the better shots are.
0: Yeah, that's probably, I would guess, a function of college level defensive rotations and. and. Yep. Well, right. Then maybe in high school that's open, right? It might be correct in quite a bit. So, yeah,
1: that might be the best shot. Yeah. Right.
0: So. Uh, all right, I want to go to point guard play a little bit. Um, obviously, you're very good at developing players. Um, so when you're working with a point guard or a primary ball handler, um, what things do you want them to know how to do? Like, what, what are you looking to teach them? And then second part of the question is an elite guard, what things should they be able to see on the floor? What things do elite guards see on the floor?
1: Uh, we talk about especially in our point guard position of understanding where if we're going to run even a set or motion you know where's the best entry point for that who is the best person to go to that starts that play that's going to end up getting that back screen three screens later so being able to think ahead of it um, I always think that's big I, I talked we have a fresh point guard right now that I'm trying to okay if we're going to run this play who would we be running for and why and trying to constantly ask that information so they're sitting there and going thinking about it, not just, hey, yep, we're going to go, and I don't really know why, Um, and understanding the bigger picture of it and trying to really get that where they know, okay, if if we're running this set and I start the ball to the left, that means that person's the one that's going to get the last screen of that play where we think is the best opportunity. Um, So trying to think above that, and that's what I think for guards in general, especially in our league and then in motion is being able to see a few things before they happen. Hey, understand I'm always a play ahead. Um, We talk about it a bunch and it it takes a little bit to understand it. But when you're going, where did that defender that stopped you come from? And being able to see it early. It's not, hey, that they're right in front of me. Just a step could be all it is that now somebody else is open. And understanding then that just takes that little bit of a moment where, hey, you've got to know immediately where did that person come from? Because that's where the pass needs to go.
0: All right. So you, you peak something because is something I'm looking at, um, at least high school wise. Right. You talk about entering to a certain side, right or left. Um, is that something you look at in, in your own tendencies or team's tendencies? Right. Hey, this team always enters to the right. Because I feel like if you look at a typical high school game, most teams. Are, mm-hmm. Right. Obviously, college is probably a little bit different. But at the same time, you talk about point guard play, maybe a young point guard. They're so used to, mm-hmm. to my dominant hand. Is that something you guys are, are you looking at, being conscious of, maybe looking at for other teams that you play?
1: Yeah, I'd say more scouting. We notice it a bunch. We'll go, hey, they're going to run this set, and we start to the right. You know, it might look similar, but if it goes to the right, you know this is what's coming, um, as opposed to if it goes a different direction. We try and really balance out, um, and it's something we push from the beginning of, Hey, bringing it up either side and understanding, you know, where your personnel is on the court that I might be bringing up the right side, but I need to change. Cause you know what, the person that I need the ball in their hands is on the left side and I got to get that to them. So they have that first opportunity within motion or whatnot. So just kind of getting that understand where, Hey, yeah, I can't consistently only bring it up the right side and we always start our our actions, whether it's set or motion that way because teams do start to scout it we we know we do so we try and even that out as much as we can.
2: Now yeah, I'm thinking about all kinds of follow ups, but I will go into a little bit more of the end of a game because I always think this is interesting for any of the guests we mm-hmm. ask. Um, you know, there's a game you may win by one, you lose by one, regardless of the score for you, what are some keys you look for at the end of the game, whether it's statistics or analytics or film, or, you know, maybe another metric, um, that, you know, that your team played well versus your team played poorly. Cause you know, let's be honest as coaches, there's times we win when we're like, know what my team didn't play well and there's times we lose Mm -hmm. like no everybody else might think it was a loss but we actually did play well so for you what are those things uh
1: I think one of the biggest things that we look at obviously our defense is what's key for us so our did we hold them under their average still you know is that something where we were still able to if they're a team that averages 75 points were they under 70 then I think we did what we were supposed to on the defensive end um and we got to be happy with that part when you look at the offensive end for us, what is our assist? Our assist to field goals made. Um, if we're high assists, then we know that we're running motion well. If we're a low assist to our field goals made, that means we were playing a lot of one-on-one and that means we got out of our system. And that usually can tell a lot right there. So if I'm saying if we had a high assist to field goals and we still lost, and we still ran really good motion. And I can't be too too mad about that. We just didn't get you know, some plays, I guess, whenever it happened, if it was at the end or whatnot to to go down. Um, We always know if we're, you know, how focused we are is our free throw percentage, you know, if if they're coming in and we're end up being under 60%, we kind of know, hey, our focus wasn't there. Those are some of the pieces that we really look at. I'd say those three main things.
0: All right, so I guess we're gonna, we're gonna maybe foresee the future here a little bit, but based on your experience as an assistant too. Um, I'll tweak this question a little bit. Obviously, you just took over. You maybe have to hire an assistant. You maybe not. But um, when you were going through the experience, and then now taking your experiences to when you have to hire an assistant and, and fill mm-hmm. out staff, um, what are some of the things you're you're looking for? Is it, you know, does it help to have someone you know? Um, recommendations. Uh, what's important for you in an assistant?
1: Yeah, I think to start for me from the beginning was, you know, obviously first time head coach. uh, I want someone with an experience and especially I want somebody with that head coaching experience. I want someone that understands where I am and, you know, what has sat in this seat before. Um, So really not looking, hey, hey, bring somebody in with only a couple years experience and having to teach them as well. And I'm still trying to learn in this position too. So experience has been huge. Um, something I've really looked at with with that hire. Um, I think trusting somebody um, is, is huge. That would be the if that's not one A, it's one B right there with the the experience pieces. Being able to trust that person that you know, hey, when you ask them you know questions, they're going to give you an honest answer. You you can be able to say, hey, I might have to run out during this. Can you guys run this practice or this section or or whatever, and trust that they're going to get it done and you know that it's going to be smooth. So those are two big things for me that I'm really looking forward um, to hiring somebody.
0: All right, so I'm going to follow up a little bit and take it more to just the, I guess we'll go back to when you were an assistant and you were applying for these jobs mm-hmm. in interviewing. Because, um, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are high school coaches, maybe assistants. So what are the, some of the things that you maybe learned I guess in general that coaches were looking for and that you try to do and put forward promoting yourself as, as, you know, when applying for assistant jobs or, you know, obviously the head job.
1: Yeah. I think the big thing is you, you got to know what you're really, really good at. And you got to really start trying to build that, that around. Okay. I know I'm really good at recruiting, but knowing that it's not, not that's not all the job is and being able to say, okay, can I, Can I scout? Can I game plan? Can I, you know, um, on court teach? And I think that's always the tough one is that some of these younger coaches that are just trying to get in it, just hold on to one thing and say, well, I'm really good at this. Yeah, but when you become an assistant and when you start moving up that ladder, the more that you're able to do and the more that you're able to cover only makes, you know, the head coach's job easier and you can be able to continue to, to move up that ladder. So being able to add all those different branches to your tree is huge. I always say too, and you know, it's always it's the, the thing that everybody says when you're applying for a job, you gotta make yourself stick out, you gotta be different. And I think in today's world with the way that everything is, you know, everything is just an email, a, a text away. But we've gotten away from that in-person, you know, maybe even just a phone call, but even that in-person connection of going, you know what, I really wanna work for this person. I wonder if I drove in and met them in their office in person, would that actually be the thing to do? And I think we've gotten away from that. And I would recommend anybody that, Hey, if you're going, I really want a job at this place and university of Wyoming. Great example. We have a, an opening, right? I've gotten tons of emails, but I'm, I wish somebody would just walk into my office and say, Hey coach, I know you have an opening. I'd love to just introduce myself. Here's what I think I could bring to the table. Here we go. And that would just blow you away because we just, we don't see it anymore.
2: So now I'm going to tweak it only because I've had this experience as a head coach. Let's say you hire someone down the line, maybe it's a year into it, a half, a year and a half into it, and you realize that person is just not a good fit. How do you think you would go about handling that?
1: I think the communication piece on that is huge. Um, As long as that you've had a a really good conversation of expectations and what you want from that position from the very beginning and going, Hey, you told me you could do this, this, and this, and we're kind of falling through in some of these areas, you know, and having that conversation of, Hey, these are the expectations I laid out. And unfortunately we're falling short. So where can we figure out this? Is it, is this the best fit or, you know, are we needing to do more professional development to help you get to these areas, but just, that communication factor in those expectations already laid out is huge, where I think it goes across the board for assistants, for staff, for players. If they know what's expected, then I can have this conversation with them at the end of the year and go, here's where you were, but this is where we talked about you being. And then it lays it out a lot easier and we can be able to have that dialogue of, okay, well, I thought I was doing better or vice versa. All
2: right, so this is um, definitely more towards the off season now. So for you, obviously in the division one level, there's strength and conditioning coaches and um, nutritionists and, and things along the lines of working, you know, together as a whole for the group of players. Um, but for you, I wanted to talk about strength and conditioning. For you, what do you want to achieve this off season as far as strength and conditioning? And then maybe a second part, is there any specific like preseason test or metric that you and your staff use to kind of know your players are at a specific level as far as um, maybe conditioning going into the year.
1: Yeah. So we're very unique here. um, And something that we're going to stick with uh, even with me taking over is we don't require kids to stay in the summer. We have a handful of international players that that's the only time they get to go home. So I don't think it's fair to say, oh, well, you six because you guys live in America have to stay here, but you six because you're international, you guys get to go home. Um, So it's completely volunteer based. If they want to stay, they're more than welcome to, but it's not required. So that kind of changes that summer strength and conditioning program where we send it home with them. And, you know, I I know some days they're going to do it, some days they're not. That's just how it is. The one other thing that's unique for us is is that the elevation that we play at, it doesn't matter what you do all summer, if you go back and you're at sea level, and you're going to come back up to 7220 you're going to struggle and there's it just happens there's nothing you can really do about it besides you know coming up here more in the summer coming up here earlier, but it's going to always take a few days to get those lungs back, so we really focus in the fall of that conditioning piece. Um, the strength piece, we, I, for the most part, our kids do a really good job of being able to do that on their own in the summer and keeping that level where we might have to build back a little bit in, this, in the fall, but not as much um, as the conditioning piece. So we really try and hit that. Um, and we don't really have, in a sense, a metric. Uh, we haven't in the past. We might add something in. Uh, I haven't really completely nailed that down just yet, but it's, it's an obvious struggle. And you know when we start getting into practice, you know, where they're at and just trying to get as much of that conditioning in for the four weeks that we have for whatever it might be when they first get back in the fall and getting them down on the court and just trying to get as much conditioning as we can with our our strength and conditioning coach is always our, our biggest struggle, to be honest, and something we continue to work on every year. All
0: right. So I want to move into, um, and obviously, you've been in the same program. You've talked about running kind of the same stuff, but you obviously mm-hmm. have ideas and and you know things you, things you want to do. So, um, and obviously, you're in the first parts of this process. But how have you gone about starting to to find recruits that fit your program? Uh, you know, maybe attributes, size, etc. Because every coach has different things, and and maybe you want to tweak that a little bit. To, to be make it more of your own.
1: Yeah, I think uh, right now we just talked about those kids that, you know, play hard no matter what score is, where, you know, if it's playing with their high school team, their, their summer team, but just that playing hard aspect. And then the big thing that I look at is, can kids make an impact without the ball in their hands? If they can be able to make an impact on the game without the ball in their hands, they're gonna be successful in our program because that means they understand the game. Their basketball IQ is higher. They're getting a little bit more of the movement without the ball, understanding how to read screens, things of that nature, which then translates for our motion really, really well. So if I go to a game and a kid has the ball in her hands, you know, for 35 minutes, they're probably not the ones that they're gonna be the most successful at our program. It's the one that's off the ball, that's coming off a screen and doing some different things that, that we really look at and try and, and try and focus in on.
2: So interesting. I just have an interesting follow-up because when you were talking about the, the international flavor to your recruiting, yep. well, it really made me think as I counted your roster and almost half of it is from out of the country. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess, you know, uh, an interesting follow-up to, for me is how do you kind of blend these, these different personalities? I mean, when I looked not only are there, you know, kids from Australia and Wyoming and, or, and Spain, you know, in Croatia, but as I kind of said, then there's like Idaho and Wyoming. So how does that all kind of blend together?
1: You know, it's crazy. I think kids are so, I don't know, resilient these days where I, I give them so much credit for international kids to be able to travel all the way over here, you know, and, and spend eight months, um, and not be to go home. But it seems it, it takes about that month um, for them to just get acclimated. And then we notice where it seems like our American kids, some of their best friends are the internationals and they just click. And where we've seen it, even where I've had kids graduate now that they're visiting, you know, still. And we had one that was living with one of our international kids' families while she was over traveling and things like that, where they just create that connection. Um, so easy. I think you know, in the big picture of it, doesn't matter if you're in Croatia, if you're in Spain, if you're in Washington, if you're in Wyoming, um, the everyday, the basketball is still basketball. Um, you know, girls are still girls. Women are still women. I, everything that we're, we're doing, they still enjoy, if it's TikTok or whatever the, the new trend is, it's the same over there. This is here. And they end up all enjoying and, and I don't know. I think all half of them are on TikTok now together doing the videos, whatever. So whatever it works to, to create that connection is I'm all for it and, and they love it and they all get along really, really well.
0: I I I popped something up in my mind too. I guess there's no disrespect to Wyoming, but like you know, you wouldn't think of the international pipeline going to Wyoming. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. lot of international players in that, but how did you guys develop that? And how did you guys you know, obviously I'm sure it's probably a couple years down the road, you know, beforehand. But yeah, what are some of the things you guys have done for that? Because that's that's really that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Um, when I first got to the got the job seven years ago here, um, we had another assistant coach that was um that was all he did. Um, he was very international. He was from over there, and so we had all kinds of connections. And so we leaned on him really, really big. And he was able to kind of start that process for us. And ever since it, it's like it only took a, to get a couple, and then even after he's moved on to another job, we've been able to can keep that going just because we have them. And, and it's like I think those international kids, as soon as they see those on their roster, like, oh, you've got a kid from Spain, oh, you've got a kid from Croatia. Yeah. Like, what's different than me from wherever coming to? Yeah. Um, and they just kind of understand that, hey, we've got that you know blend going already, and that we got we understand how to how it goes. I guess so. It just has created that pipeline that's has um, gratefully stayed with us.
0: That's actually really cool. You just never know, right? You never know what connections yeah. and who that's you right. have. That's awesome. Yep. yep.
2: All right, so I want, I'm gonna take this question two ways only because now I know okay. your love of shoes like mine and Todd's love of shoes. So we're gonna take this <laughs> two ways. First, we're gonna talk about maybe just your overall coaching style as far as um, maybe demeanor during a game um, you know, in, in that way of your style?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I'm definitely one of those, like, I, I like, I like the teaching aspect of coaching. So instead of yelling and screaming at a kid because they made a turnover or a bad shot or whatever, it's that next free throw or that next dead ball where you're able to grab and you're going, Hey, I know you took that shot. We know it wasn't very good but here's where we can fix this. Where's where we can get better in kind of just more of that coaching, teaching aspect as it is. The kid knows they messed up. I don't need to call that out. Um, So I'm going to be more of that. Like, here's what we can do next time. Or here's what I've seen. Maybe try this, look at this. More of that coaching, teaching aspect as opposed to maybe that, okay, I'm going to yell at you because you made a mistake.
2: All right. And my follow-up now is, what do you think your in-game apparel is going to look like, Coach? This is a very serious question. Like, What what, it's are, we, it, what are we thinking it's changed
0: about? It's changed a little bit the, the it has.
2: since COVID. It has. So, what, so what route are you going to go? I
1: have, I've got, so I have about three closets in my house that are full of shoes. Um, oh, and yeah. that ranges from about everything. So I have a closet that's dedicated just to heels. And I love my heels. And I have every color of heels. So I still am going to have those just as much. But uh, especially with the change of, hey, we can wear pullovers and things of that nature. That's when the tennis shoes are going to come back out and being able to use some different ones. I got I got some Lego ones that are from Adidas. I got the Mm M&M's ones. I got a a handful of different ones that way. So being able to sprinkle those in um, is going to be one of those where I think maybe home games. If we're dressing up, I'll be wearing heels. If it's road games and we're wearing pullovers, i will going to. Uh, pull out the tennis shoes so, yeah, if
0: you got a long road trip you might want to go out the tennis shoes
2: right exactly exactly I'm I'm starting to really get into like Under Armour makes like a dressy gym shoe now I'm really starting oh, yeah. into them I like them I bought some baby blue ones They're very nice yep yeah
1: I gotta yeah. go with
0: my, I gotta go with the Jordans that's my that's my yeah
1: understandable that's my I understandable jam, but... I do love right now the Adidas the Stan Smith because they come out with everything and you can wear those with about anything too so yeah,
0: if i was going to go adidas option. i'd if i was going to go adidas i'd go the old school like the OG Adidas, original the, the three the stripe yeah
1: yeah those were
0: awesome those were good those were good right,
1: those were those were i remember back in the day when you could change out the three stripe color you had the little yeah, thing you could you slide could. in You're
0: right that
1: yeah. that yeah. was when you thought you were pretty cool too <laughs>
0: exactly right all right so uh i wanted to get into um, and this is a pretty prevalent topic, especially in college basketball, I think it filters down, it's it's filtering down the high school now. Um, the long, uh, I guess, first of all, the short-term effect of the player and coaching movement, right, the transfer portal, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I just saw today there was like four four or five coaches <laughs> hired somewhere yep. up, um, so the first, the short-term effect of that, and then what do you think the long-term effect is going to be? Yeah, like, I think. in general.
1: Yeah, I think um, right now the transfer portal, it's still got so many things that I think people are still trying to figure out about it. Uh, it's still new. It's still whatever. But it, I think it is the point of there's always going to be those kids that, and I mean, coaches do it too. Things are always going to be better. The grass is going to be greener on the other side. And the long-term effect of that is that, kids are going to start realizing that's not. And they're going to start talking to friends that have done this and they're going, actually, it wasn't a great move. Um, So short term, we're all going to say, oh, yeah, grass is greener on the other side. We're all going to do it. We're going to do it. But then in the long term of that, now the trickle down of, hey, you know what, this wasn't a good move or I I ended up with nothing um, is going to start to happen more and more and more because of the amount of kids that are in. It's going to be unfortunate because there's going to be a lot of players – coming up next year that don't have a spot and that are going to be, you know, either retiring early or, you know, walking on or or doing something they didn't really want to do because they, you know, changed their mind and and went into the portal hoping that someday they're going to get something better. And there's just nothing out there. Um, I think it'll affect, unfortunately, um, high school players at times because we've got so many that go, Hey, you know what? I can get a kid from the portal that has one year of college experience and one-year college experience is better than the four-year high school kid that has zero experience. And, and that's going to be the other one where I think it's going to hurt some of the long-term, you know, being able to build a team. Um, it's going to be t- – not that it's going to turn into the men where they can, you know, the one-and-dones and things of that, but it's going to start turning that way where you're going, we're not building four-year kids anymore.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you even got now kids who are playing the sixth year. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah,
1: and yes. Then which is –
0: Rightfully so because of the COVID year and all that.
1: Yeah, but, COVID. You know,
0: that also just filters down, right? It's one less spot for a kid.
1: Yeah, getting- I don't you know. think everybody understands, you know, with, with the COVID exception now and you're getting a, a bonus year. So this year you could have had more than 15 scholarship players. The NCAA allowed it. Where Okay, if you wanted to keep your seniors for their COVID year, you could have had 17, 18. Well, it goes back to 15 this year. We don't get that extra no matter right. what. So we had to go ahead and prepare for, okay, are our seniors staying and you know, change that recruiting class. Well, that's why you're seeing some transfers as well, because they're going, I already signed these kids. These kids already committed. I don't have a spot for you to stay now. You're gonna have to go somewhere else. And that's where the part where you're there's gonna be a lot of movement in that case, just because there is literally no spots available.
2: No, I, I I do. I I think, you know, I have a couple of players that are playing college basketball and they're coming back for their fifth year and um, you know their their coaches were even talking to them about like you know they may only recruit one freshman or two freshmen yep. just because that's all the spots that are left. At this yep. Um, exactly. All right. So as we get into our last two segments, um, our first one we call thirty second timeout. Um, this is kind okay. of your, your platform. You can talk about whatever you want. It doesn't have to be basketball related. Um, you could talk about you can talk about yourself, your family, your program. Uh, an organization you're passionate about. Um, We've had people talk about their spouses. Um, We've had pretty much everything in this segment. Uh, We had one- People ask
0: us questions. Yeah, we
2: had one coach (laughs) turn it back on us. Um, So kind of anything you want to talk about.
1: Well, I think the big thing of what has, you know, I always said when I first moved to Wyoming, I'm like, okay, I never lived out here. I wasn't sure what to expect. And I have fallen in love with what Wyoming is all about and what's around here. So for instance, I think it was about year two I was here. I bought a $800 camper that was completely gutted and I rebuilt it from scratch. And I started taking it with it because within about six hours of Laramie, Wyoming, you can get to some awesome places uh, and started traveling. And so me and my significant other have done about everything you can think of with that camp. We finally sold it and upgraded it to a little bit nicer. It was kind of time for that, you know, upgrade of, we, we've done everything we can with this one. Um, so I love the camping. I love everything about getting outdoors, the hiking, uh, and all of that, that I think when you think about Wyoming and, you know, everybody knows Yellowstone and the Tetons and, and all that, but the, the hidden gems that are around that are close, is just awesome and it's one of my favorite hobbies. And everybody's told me now that you're a head coach, you gotta still find time to do that because getting away and getting outdoors is some of the best medicine you can you can possibly give yourself.
0: That's probably gonna fit right in John to our uh quick hitter.
2: Yeah she she hasn't experienced the quick hitter segment yet. Let's yeah. see what she thinks Abby. so we, we got a quick hitters.
0: Um okay.
1: we're
0: just gonna ask you random stuff. Something's about basketball. I think most of yours isn't really necessary about basketball no. um not at all really so um yeah we'll, we'll, okay. we'll get after it
2: all right Let's so get... the first one obviously you are the coach of wyoming wyoming is known for their national parks you kind of led into it do you have a favorite national park you would say
1: oh uh, as of what i've been to probably arches um over in moab utah but I have Glacier and Zion are on my next to-do list, so these might trump them because I heard they're amazing.
0: All right, so a fun fact about living in Wyoming, something that people might not know.
2: Oh
1: gosh, Um, I'd probably go with that we have, even though I know weather's crazy up here, it's like an average of over 350 days of sunlight. Uh, The sun shines, it could be negative 10 outside, but we have sunshine. And I think that sometimes one of those things where you're going, okay, even though it's cold, you see the sun, it helps. It helps big time. Yeah. No,
2: I like that. I did not know that. I just learned something. Yes. Um, all right. Your favorite, uh, Western movie or favorite, like, uh, cowboy cowgirl theme
1: movie, uh, tombstone hands down. Okay.
0: That's funny. We're going to go, uh, this is not even wyoming because you go to wisconsin and have this but bison or elk meat
1: oh i can't go wrong with a good bison burger
0: there you go Um, i didn't want to be too stereotypical like thinking wyoming but like you literally can go go to wisconsin you literally can go to wisconsin get far enough and you could have the same yeah
2: well i think i wasn't trying to be stereotypical I i think yeah coach you also grew up in missouri didn't you I did. I did. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, we're not, we're not that off. It's not like she grew up in yeah. Florida and we're asking her about bison and elk. <laughs> yeah, so, I know, right. but
0: yeah, you don't want to stereotype, you
2: know? Um, all right. So I saw that you were tied for the Iowa state women's basketball leader in three point, three pointers made. So mm-hmm. uh, for you, best shooter you ever saw in person, men or women?
1: Oh gosh, that's tough. I mean, I, I've been, I've been to a lot of different games. I, it's hard for me not to say Steph Curry. Um, that's tough not to say. If I was looking at the the college game though, I would probably say JJ Redick.
2: Okay. Excellent. Yeah.
0: All right. So here's a basketball philosophy question. All right, okay.
1: you're,
0: you're up three, three seconds left. The opponent has the ball. They're in the one and one. You in or let it play out.
1: I'm letting it play out, especially because women's basketball doesn't have the one-on-one anymore. We have two shots. I forgot about that. that. But we hang our hat on defense. I've always thought that too, is three seconds is enough time. Um, You got to play it out.
2: Okay. All right, last one. Only because it's tonight. Who you got? North Carolina or Kansas?
1: Gosh, this is tough for me because I'm a huge Duke fan. I love Coach K. So with Duke getting beat last night, uh, I probably don't have to go though. Big 12 routes here and go with Kansas being, being a big 12 kid. Um, so I gotta, which is tough. Cause I was from Missouri. That's a tough one to, to admit to, but uh, yeah. I'll yes. go with, I'll go with the big 12 and, and KU.
2: Well, coach, we really had a lot of fun when, when I saw that you were taking over at Wyoming, it was definitely a unique guest that we wanted to talk to. And, and we were really excited that you agreed to be on. So Thank you for joining us. And, and this was a really fun episode.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Plicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Time or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout." We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game out of the game, and anything in between.